family, all right? So if you'll be thinking about that and be in prayer for that, that'd be good, all right? But I'm going to attempt to preach, and so if you'll go with me to 1 Peter chapter 3 this morning is where we'll be as we're continuing our study through the book of 1 Peter on Sunday mornings. And as we come to this text here, just be reminded once again that Peter's writing for this main purpose. He is trying his best to strengthen the believers, uh, just as Jesus told him to do, Luke twenty two thirty two, 32, when Jesus said, when thou art converted, Peter, when you get right with God, I need you to strengthen the brethren. And so Peter sits down with pen in hand under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and attempts to do just that, to give great strength to the believers. Because listen, at this time, these believers were really going through the ringer. They were, they were going through persecution. They were suffering. Uh, they're going through great loss, not only of their stuff, but even of their lives. And uh, so they needed great strength. But where is that strength going to be found? It wasn't going to be found in some man. It wasn't going to be found in a military mind or a political party or some kind of financial institution. Rather, the strength they need was going to be found as they began to read the word of God that Peter is writing unto them. And in that word, in that letter, in his epistles that he would give to them, they would find strength, yes, but strength in this, in their God that God gives them in a great hope. Because listen, God is trying to give them great hope at this moment, and they needed it. They needed great hope through the pain, through the fiery trials. They needed hope just for the next day. And that hope that Peter's given, that hope that God gives, listen, is not just across your fingers, let's hope this works out. Rather, the hope that God gives through his word is this. It is a confident assurance founded upon the very promises and person of God himself and these believers needed that desperately as they faced these uncertain days but I'm reminded we need it today too did you know that there's people all around us that are needing hope I'm telling you can I get can I tell you a story real quick that happened to me this week it's been a crazy week just so you know all right but I'm gonna tell you a story that happened to me this week I don't know if he's going to be watching this or not, so I'll refrain from using any names. There's an individual that, that stopped by the church this, this week on Wednesday. And on Wednesday afternoon, I was, I was in uh, trying to hurry a preparation for Sunday, or for Wednesday evening, sorry, Wednesday evening service and studying and that kind of thing, so James chapter 5. And, and uh, found a knock on, on, the, on the chapel door. And the individual I didn't recognize, didn't know him. But I could definitely tell he was a little distraught and he needed some help. Now we've had folks come to our steps on the chapel, even the front steps of this church and asking for help in different situations. But a lot of times those help that they're seeking is not the help that we would try to give them, you see. They just want money for their next fix kind of thing, if you know what I'm saying. But this individual is a little bit different. I could tell it was a little bit different help he was needing. And so after just a quick little uh, conversation on the front step there... Invited him in, into my office and he sat down and began to pour his heart out to me. How he drove down on Friday, last Friday evening, left his job, left his work, and drove down to North Carolina, the mountains of North Carolina, because he had visited this area for many, many years, different fundraisers and whatnot, and even had a couple of friends here, acquaintances really. But he came to the mountains of North Carolina for this purpose. He told me, I came here for one more happy day. Because while I'm here, I am going to take my life. I'm looking for one more happy day. And he said he's had many happy days here hiking these mountains. 
But as he began to pour his heart out, I asked him why he was in such a distraught uh, place. He began to tell me that he has lost a significant amount of funds and money in, in different startup businesses. He was seemed to be a pretty well-to-do fella and, and had some money that he had uh, used, all his liquid assets to put into a certain business he and several others had started, but it began to wane, began to fail, and he was looking at potentially losing lots of money, not in the thousands, talking about the millions, all right? And so with that potential, he was in a, in a very dark place and he didn't see any other way, any other hope outside of the situation but to end it all. But he wanted one more happy day. And so he drove through the night, he left his job on Friday, drove through the night and ended up here on Saturday. And after a failed attempt early in the week, he was driving down 280, stopped at four different other churches, nobody was there. And he drove down Fannin Bridge Road and saw my truck and pulled in and knocked on the door and began to pour his heart out. And at the end of pouring his heart out, he said, you know, I really don't even know why I'm here. I said, I do. Let me tell you about a man that changed my life. I began to tell him about the Lord Jesus Christ and how Jesus changed my life and the things I was messed up in before I knew the Lord. And how he changed my life and made me new. And as he began to hear my story, it began to give him just a little bit of hope. And then I began to tell him more. Now listen, you're not the only one to ever go through a dark time like this. To find, your, find yourself in such a state of depression that you don't see any way out and you don't see there's any hope whatsoever. But I began to tell him of others that I knew that went through the exact same thing he went through. Some came out of it because they chose to and chose to lean on the Lord. Others did not and began to continue to lean on their own wisdom and knowledge and ended all. And of those that I explained to him that ended it all, he asked, he said, how did their family take? And I said, as you could imagine, they were absolutely distraught and devastated. And that seemed to turn a little bit of a light, light switch on in his heart and mind, and he began to think about the consequences of potential action that he was contemplating. And long story short of it is this. The man from Chicago drove the mountains of North Carolina to Bowling Springs Baptist Church on a whim and seemingly coincidence to listen to just a country preacher give him hope from the Word of God. And that man left here with hope in his heart. I'm happy to tell you, drove home through the night, ended up getting home on Thursday morning at 1 in the morning and went home to be with his family. Didn't have wife and kids, went home to his mom and dad. And it was there that he, uh, he had actually left a note, a suicide note with his family, telling them what he was going to, and about to do. And after some conversations and calls that I made to his pastor, and finally his parents called me, I was able to get in touch with him. He made it home finally and taking the first steps of getting help. And I think he's going to be okay. As I rejoice in the Lord to know, listen, though he needed help and hope, he found it. Not in me. Not in me. But he found it in the Word of God. He found it in the Lord. I'm here to tell you today, listen, there's people all around us that need hope, need some help. They want to find it. Not in the lives of the world, but in the truth of the Word of God and the person of Jesus Christ. That's hope, my friends. 
That's what we're trying to point to. That's what, that's what Peter is trying to do is he strengthens the brethren, point them to hope through these days in which they were facing. They were so dark and bleak. And people today still face dark and bleak days, but listen, there's still hope for them. As we have said many times and continue saying, as long as there's breath in the body, there's always going to be hope. And so please give individuals hope. Give them the word of God. Point them to the Lord. You'll never regret that. And neither, neither will they. People need hope today and they can still find it in the word of God. Now I understand that's kind of heavy. Like I said, it's been a little bit of a heavy week. But I'm thankful there is hope and grace in the Lord more than we could ever need. It's more than sufficient, more than enough. And Peter's trying to point people to the Lord. All right. So look quickly with me. At this portion of scripture, in 1 Peter chapter number 3, we're going to be, be in verse number, verse number 8. And I find it interesting as we come to verse number 8, as Peter's pointing to, to hope, he's pointing to, to the grace of God, pointing to the Lord. I find it interesting that he uses this word in verse number 8, the first one here, and it says, finally. Now, as we look at this word here, understand Peter, when he uses this, he's not suggesting that his writing is complete. He's not suggesting that he is done pinning down what God would have him to say because we know there's still a couple chapters left. We know, if my math is correct, it's probably not because I went to East High School. There's 37 verses left, all right, within 1 Peter chapter number 5. So what does Peter get at? What does he mean when he uses the word finally here? Well, understand, he's using this word finally to conclude this section of instructions. He is using this word to conclude the thought that he has been on, really, since chapter 2, verse number 11. Now, understand, don't let that get you a little cross-eyed, okay? Understand, though we have chapter and verse divisions within the Scripture, and they are fantastic, please know they are not inspired like the words are inspired. Meaning they were not with the original text that the, came from the writings of the apostles and prophets and others, right? But understand, our chapter and, and verse divisions, they're not inspired. They didn't come till later on, completed at least, around 1560 with the completion of the Geneva, Geneva Bible, all right? But so understand, they're not inspired, but I'm very thankful for them. You know why? Because most of you, I announced about 15 minutes ago, a little, little more, uh, about 20 minutes ago, that we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3. And I'd say most of you would still be looking for 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 8 if we didn't have chapter and verse divisions, all right? I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful for them. But please know, sometimes you've got to read through a chapter with the continuation of the thought. All right. Sometimes you can't just look at one verse and get the complete thought and context of what the writer is trying to say. You got to continue reading on. Okay. So that's why I say all that to say to say that. Okay. Just keep that in in mind. So as Peter is concluding his thought, though, that he started in chapter number two of this thought of having the right conduct as believers. Of, of living right in a world gone wrong. And we looked at those messages some time ago. I think back in the fall. Do you remember those messages? They were that good. Okay. Excellent. All right. Putting that in back pocket. We'll preach again soon. Okay. Anyway. Uh, but that's where he's kind of coming, coming from still. He's, he, but he's concluding those in instructions, concluding that thought as our, of our behavior as believers, our conduct as Christians with our even, as we looked at recently, a submission uh, with society, submission as a servant, submission as a spouse. But he's summing all of that up with these verses we're going to read right now. Look at it with me 
In verse number 8, he says, Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrawise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do, that do evil. You know, it's interesting as you read these verses here, and especially in verse, in verse number 10 where it, where it, says, where it says this, that, uh, that they were, uh, to, if they would love life and, and see good days. When you see these verses and you put that, those verses in the historic context of this writing of the persecution and everything going on, you might think that Peter has put these out of place. And maybe even sounds a little unreasonable. And it, it may even sound that... Uh, well, you know, Peter, he's gotten old and maybe he's a little senile and he's just absolutely crazy uh, to put those verses in there. And uh, but like I always say, if you're going to be a preacher, you've got to be a little crazy. Okay. <laughs> Anyways. Okay. But you, gotta, you might think he's a little crazy for putting these verses, these verses in there. But listen, he's not being unreasonable at all. He's not off his rocker. He, he's not crazy. Rather, he is trying to help and give hope to these believers and to strengthen them. And letting them know that even though they may be going through some difficult days, you can still have some good ones. And let them know though you may be going through even some misery, you can still have some joy. Look, too many, too many times we think of that and it may just sound crazy and it may, may sound crazy to the world, of course, thinking you can have good days and joy even when everything around you is falling apart. But understand we can still have good days even in the midst of bad ones. Why? Because though the days may change and the seasons of life may change, Jesus never. We can still have some good days. And for today and in this context, I want to see this. How can we see good days? And how can we still love life even in the midst of bad ones? Even in the midst of trouble. Even in the midst of heartache and turbulent times, how can we do all of that? Well, Peter gives some admonitions, and we're only going to get to the first one for sake of time this morning. And I'll try to hurry through them, all right? But, uh, but how, how can we see good days, and how can we continue to love, love life? Well, here's the admonitions. Actually, go ahead and write all three of them down. We'll just look at the first one. But, but, but this, is, this is how, right? Are you ready? Number one, we can have good days when we have the right response. We can have good days when we have the right reaction and we can have good days when we have the right reason. All right, so that's the three main points. Let's just look at the first one this morning. The first one is this. We can have good days when we have the right responses. All right, look again at verse number eight. Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrawise blessing. Knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. Now, as we read these verses, Peter points out several responses that each of us can and should, uh, listen, cultivate as believers when we face bad days of life, especially if we desire to see some good ones, all right? 
But he points out some responses. And the first response we see here is this one. Number one, a response of unity. Look at it again in verse number eight. He says, finally, be ye all of one mind. He's speaking of unity. Listen, division is a terrible thing. You say, you're right, preacher, I hate math. Well, I ain't talking about that kind of division, all right? We ain't talking about long division, okay? Rather, I'm talking about something that's even more terrible. I'm talking about division that can happen, take place among people, and especially even among believers. And honestly, division among believers is something that I absolutely hate, and to be quite honest as well, it terrifies me. You see, I'd rather die than to see that happen. I'd rather die than to be considered the catalyst of something like that, especially among believers, and especially here. I would never want to be a part of that. The issue of it. I hate division. I've seen it in other places and I've seen it with other believers and I hate it every time. And I believe God hates it as well. You see, when you go to Proverbs and you see God's hate list, you know what you'll find on that hate list? <laughs> you'll find lying. You'll find pride. But there at the end, he says, and he that sows discord among the brethren. God hates it. He wants unity. He has called us to peace. 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 15. That's what God wants us to do as believers to cultivate peace in unity. But how do we do that? Well, here's a good verse to keep in mind. The Bible says this. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3, maybe it's a good one for you to write down and memorize and commit it to memory, commit it to your heart. But it says this, Ephesians 4 and verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of Peace. God wants unity among his own. The Bible says in Psalm 133 verse 1, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. God wants unity. And when we speak of unity, by the way, we're not speaking of uniformity, all right? You see, we can be brethren. We can be family without being twins, okay? Uh, we can we can disagree graciously. And even in that disagreement, we can still keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of, of peace. But understand something. God wants unity, but you know who doesn't? Starts with a D, ends with an evil. Devil, that's right. The devil does not want unity. He does not want the bond of peace. He actually wants the antithesis of peace. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants confusion. Chaos and carnage. He wants to hinder, interfere, and cause a stumbling block in front of every single believer. He wants to stop every believer in every church from moving forward for the glory and with the, with the gospel of God. You know, it's interesting. When I uh, notice in Scripture, at least, of when Satan attacks... Uh, when he brings his attacks against us, many times we want to think that he attacks us when we're low, when we're deflated, and when we're discouraged, or even facing some type of depression. We, we, we want to think he's attacking then, and which, by the way, he, he does that from time to time. But usually when we find ourselves in those moments of despair, well, well he don't have to defeat much there. You're pretty much close to defeat already, you see. Or at least feeling defeated. In those moments. Rather, I believe a lot of his attacks as I look at Scripture come at times when there's great victory. 
come at times after big wins or even after good days. Why? Because when there's great victory, when there's some great days, there can be some great unity. And he hates it. Because when you have unity and God's people moving forward, the gospel is accomplishing much for Jesus. The devil hates it. You can see this, this principle, at least in Scripture, you can find in Old Testament, the book of Joshua. Do you remember what happened after the big win over the mighty city and the big walls of Jericho? Do you know what happened at the next city? There was a defeat. Defeat at Ai. Ai was a peon city in comparison to Jericho, but yet they lost and they were defeated. Why? Because there was sin in the camp. The sin of Achan, when he gave in to the lust of his flesh and the lust of his eyes and, and the pride of life, when he thought he could hide all of that from God, but he was found out, and this caused a division among the people, which ultimately caused really a defeat at Ai. You can look at it in the life of David. Now, we know much about David as we look at his life in the Old Testament. And, but we're very familiar with the sin of Bathsheba. You can see in 2 Samuel 11. But do you know what happened right before that? Do you know what took place right before 2 Samuel 11? Are you aware that in 2 Samuel chapter number 10, there was a great victory? And even that victory at the hand of David caused, listen, the enemies of Israel to make peace. The Bible says peace with Israel. And yet you read over in 2 Samuel 11, you see a great attack of the devil and a defeat. You can look in the book of Acts in the New Testament, even after Pentecost, after many people came to know Jesus as Savior, shortly thereafter, the persecution began to take place. But why does it seem that the devil attacks after great victories, after good days? Why does it seem that? Well, I don't necessarily have all the answers, but it could be that he attacks that way and for that reason because in that moment of victory, there is great unity. Even, who here played sports? Anybody play sports in high school? Yeah. Who here was the best at it? That's right. I know. I know. You all, all, all of you were. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I played, I played with him. He was actually pretty good. But anyway. But, uh, uh, but you played sports. You were good at it. When you won, especially over a team that maybe you're the underdog and you beat them, do you know what happened when you came back to the locker room? You may have been, been at war with your fellow teammate before the game, but when you came back in the locker room after the game, you were at peace. Why? Because there was unity. Everybody's unified over the victory. You know. The same thing in life. When there's great unity, there's victory, there's great unity, and you move forward and you're pumped up about the next, uh, next move to go forward. But the devil slips in and tries his sneaky attacks to stop the momentum, to stop from moving forward, to stop it all, to stop the gospel going forward. So the devil hates unity. And he wants to cause division, but I want to encourage you this morning, don't let him. Don't let him. Don't allow him to let his ugly head rear up in your life and cause division. Rather do this, Ephesians 4, 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That word endeavoring there in Ephesians 4, 3, it means to go to great efforts. It means to exert yourself. Uh, let me ask you. What do you go at great lengths to do? What do you go um, uh, exerting yourself for? 
Maybe some here say I go to great lengths to try to, to, to make money. I, I go to I, I great lengths by working overtime or I'm working a second job or, or whatever. You go to great lengths to make money. What do you exert yourself for? You say, well, I'm trying to take care of my health. I exert myself in the gym by working out, being cautious what, what, what I eat or whatever, right? Whatever you do to go great lengths to, to do, whatever it is you use your energy for, we should take that same kind of effort that we give to those things and give it as well in order to keep the unity and the bond of peace among the brethren. That's what he's getting at. Endeavoring to keep. Give your energy to it. To keep the peace among the brethren. Yet the devil is constantly trying to divide. Trying to divide believers from other believers. Divide believers from the fellowship of the church. And ultimately wanting to divide our fellowship from God himself. That was the ultimate goal, by the way. When you read the book of Job, the devil wanted to divide Job's fellowship with God Almighty. That was his ultimate goal. Remember, he said, do all these things and he will curse thee to thy face. That's what he wants to do. Ultimately, divides you from the Lord. But don't let him. And I ain't talking about losing salvation. You can't do that. Don't get me wrong. But I'm talking about your fellowship. Don't let him don't let him divide that fellowship. Don't let him take you away from church, away from the fellowship of believers. Don't let him take you away from your Bible. Don't let him take you away from that, that moment, intimate moment you have with God in prayer. Don't let him take you away, divide you from the fellowship you enjoy. We enjoy from, from the Lord. And listen, no doubt in this moment, back in our text and the history behind it, during these fiery trials of persecution and of life, the devil was wanting to divide these believers and using all these troubled times to do so. But what does Peter say? Here's his admonition. Respond this way. Don't respond with the vision. Respond this way. Be all of one mind. Then he says this. Respond. Response not only of unity, but a response of compassion. Again, in verse number 8, finally, be of one mind, having compassion one of another. Now, this uh, having compassion one of another is from the one Greek word, and that word is this, sympathes, all right? And if you were to uh, transliterate that word, you would get the word in our English language, sympathy. So this means that compassion here is a deep awareness of the hurts of others. It's a deep awareness of the suffering of another. And in context, of course, he'd be talking about the hurting of the fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. But understand, we must. When it comes to right responses during these times, troubled trouble times to see good days, we must not become hard-hearted toward one another. We must not become like Job's friends in the Old Testament who were really devoid of compassion when Job was going through his suffering and his misery. And Job looked at his friends one day and says, Man, in Job 16 too, he said, You are miserable comforters. <laughs> Look, if your friend says you're, you're miserable at this, meaning comforting and trying to be encouragement, just, just stop talking. And maybe just sit there in silence with them for a little bit. That might be more helpful than talking, Okay. And that's what they should have done, Job's friends, that is. They're miserable comforters. But we must not become so hard-hearted toward each other. Why? Because, listen, we all go through 
some tough days and terrible times because we're all made the same dirt, you see. We all face it from time to time. And since we all face from time to time, we should have compassion one on another because when it comes your time to endure some trouble and suffering, you want your fellow brother or sister having compassion towards you and on you as well. So show compassion one to another. Now, as we consider compassion here and as we consider the responses that Peter is trying to encourage us to have, that this sympathetic uh, compassion, it shouldn't just stop. Listen, uh, compassion here does not just stop with some kind of emotion. It does not just stop with a uh, pat on the back and a bless your heart. <laughs> okay? We're in the South. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, but it doesn't stop with that. No, it takes a, ne a next step. takes a step further. When he uses this response, response number three, a response of pity. Now, when Peter says here, look at it with me, verse number eight, be all one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren. When he says this, be pitiful. When he uses the word be here, he's expecting an action. And this action should come from the behalf of the brethren, from other believers, from saved people. And you can also get that when you couple that phrase uh, with, an, with another one in that same verse when it says love as brethren. You put those two together, he's expecting an action. And that compassion, that, that, that sense that you want to relieve that pain or, or try to help relieve that pain, that should propel us into action. You see, it's not just enough to feel bad for someone, not just enough to feel sorry for someone in their situation, not just enough to be touched with the pain of another. No, as family of God, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we should want to try, don't mean you will, but at least want to try to relieve some of that pain, some of that burden. As Paul said to Galatians in Galatians 6, 2, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And, but Peter here, he was expecting the believers to step in, step up, and help out. And so that's where this phrase, be pitiful, comes in. You see, and being pitiful is an action. Again, it's awareness of suffering with a desire to relieve it. And I get it. Some people, I've heard it, I've heard it from folks' mouths, myself. Some people, well, they'll say, well, I don't, want, I, don't, I don't want your pity. I don't need you to feel sorry for me. And I understand why some folks say that. I do. I get it. In the moment, they're hurting. don't know exactly what to say or how to say it, but... Also, I know why some folks say that is because they don't want to be a bother or a burden to others. So I, I can understand that, but understand this. As a church family, we are here to help each other, lift each other up, to have compassion one on another, and yes, even show pity one to another. And that is a good thing. It's a loving course of action that is expected from the Word of God, therefore from God Himself. It's expected action. So listen, if you, if you see some of your fellow Christians who are really going through difficulty and you are aware of it, I understand sometimes we're not aware of it all the time. Some folks don't always tell us if they're hurting, going through it. And, and um, just so you know, if you don't let me know certain things, I'm not a mind reader, I can't help, all right? If I don't know, I can't fix it, okay? Or I can't help out. But if we are aware of it and are capable of helping, then we should. We should love as brethren, having compassion, being pitiful. All right. 
Great responses here that Peter is telling us to, to have in order to have some good days. Here's another one quickly, a response of courtesy. Now this word does not, or I'm sorry, it does carry rather with the idea of being kind. It, it does mean that, being kind, being kind one to another. And being nice and kind are different, okay? You, you can um, bring down the hammer of truth and kindness, uh, but when you're trying to be nice, you won't always tell the truth. Does that make sense? Clear as mud? Okay, moving on. Anyway, but again, just understand this is just not caring with it, being kind or just a sweet, gentle demeanor. It goes beyond that. You see, it carries with it the idea of putting others above yourself. Basically this, listen quickly, serving one another. Having pride, being full of pride, that will not cohabitate with serving others. Even Jesus taught his disciples this very truth at, at the Last Supper in uh, John chapter number 13. You see, even at, in that portion of Scripture right before the Last Supper, that there's two disciples that were bickering and fighting. They want to be the greatest. It was uh, James and John, all right, the sons of Zebedee. They were saying, and even got you know, their, their mom involved, I think a little bit, Mama's boy's there. That's okay. All right. But anyway, got mom involved and the mother said, when you come in your kingdom, let my son, my son sit on right hand and left hand when you come in your kingdom, that kind of thing. And, but the other disciples heard it. And uh, as you can imagine, when you're hearing somebody say, oh man, let, let these two guys be the greatest when you come to the kingdom and the rest of these guys doing the same thing they're doing, but ain't get the same recognition, and you're full of pride, you can imagine the um, argument they could have had. And even the Bible talks about their indignation one to another, arguing, arguing one to another. But Jesus settled every bit of that argument and that potential division in that moment when he did this. Gird himself with a towel, took a basin of water, and washed the feet of each and every disciple. He served them. And he told them, he said, look, since I've served you, you should serve one one another. What was Jesus doing? He was showing the power of service, of that courtesy, if you will, of putting someone else above yourself. If you want to see some good days, that's what we must, we must do. Because I promise you, when you start serving others, those spats, those, that strife, that contention or whatever you may have, that potentially has, has potential to cause division, all of that will begin to dissipate. I've, I've talked with folks before who were not happy with me and, and whatever, but at the end of it, conversation, really it's more of a monologue when they don't like me. You know? I'll ask them, I say, man, I'm so sorry. What can I do to help you? And it just takes them back. They're not expecting that response. What can I do to help you? How can I serve you? When you start responding that way, then the potential division, other things, they'll begin to dissipate and go away. But we must respond correctly and right, especially when we see some good days in the midst of, of bad ones. But understand, we don't serve one another just for one another's sake. No, we serve for Jesus, for Jesus' sake. If we love the Lord and if we love people as ourselves, then we will serve in this type of response, especially in the context of Christianity, but even more specifically in the context of this local body, of this church here. Now, some folks may be thinking, well, 
I hear what you're saying, serving others, and that kind of dissipates things, yada, yada, but it sounds a little bit radical. Well, I don't think it sounds radical at all. I think it's quite uh, biblical. Let me give this verse quickly. Romans, uh, Romans chapter 13, verse 8 through 10. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, meaning here's what the law says, for this thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. If there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in the saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Meaning he was saying, Paul was saying, if you love one another, love your neighbor, then you will not commit adultery against them. You won't kill them. Pretty amazing concept, right? If you love them, you ain't going to kill them? Yeah, that's right. If you love them, you're not going to steal from them. You're not, going to, you're not going to covet what they have or anything else that's wrong. Why? Because you have love one for another. And Paul finishes that statement in Romans 13, 10 by saying this, Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And Peter kind of wraps all that up in verse number 8 when he says this phrase. He says, love as brethren. If we would have love one to another in the midst of these terrible days, you yourself and the people you're trying to help can see some good. They can see some good days. And God help us to have these kind of responses. To help our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to have some good days. And continue to love, love, love life. So respond with unity, compassion, pity, courtesy, and love. Let's see some good days. There's some other aspects we'll look from this portion of Scripture as we move from verse 8 into 9, 10, 11, and 12 on how to see some more good days in our life. But for this one today, I just want to simply point out our responses. Respond right. And you're going to have opportunity to respond in some of these situations even with others who are going through difficulties. I've already pointed out a couple in the church we're facing some tough days but it's our opportunity as believers and as fellow Christians to show that compassion and that courtesy and love one to another so do 